All right, hey, we are in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're we're kind of winding our way slowly through Luke. We'll be here for a while. Uh, in fact, I want to take uh, one more pass this morning at the same verses that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. I know that's, uh, you know, a little in depth, but um, we, we were ta- we've been talking about Simeon's message to Mary and Joseph when they, they bring Jesus to the temple for dedication. So he's still a baby. This is shortly after his birth. Um, last week, we talked about the offense of the gospel and the message that Simeon brought said it would cause some people to rise and fall and it would reveal people's hearts. And, and the truth that the good news, while it really, really is good news, it, 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 it might also require us to really reevaluate our lives a little bit. And it might cause us to think about uh, our lifestyle, about how we spend our time, how we spend our money, uh, our priorities, the things that we, we value. And that might not be good news to some people. So um, this morning, I want to continue. There's, there's one more little phrase at the end of Simeon's message. And it's, it's a little bit troubling, kind of. It's a, it's a weird thing. And, and I, I want to look at it. Go ahead and, and put it up. Uh, again, this is uh, what Simeon says to Mary and Joseph. So Simeon blessed them, Mary and Joseph, and he said to Mary, so now he's speaking specifically to Mary, his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so the thought, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And that's what we looked at last week. And then as he concludes, the last thing Simeon says to Mary is, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So what does that mean? What, what, is, uh, what is he talking about right here? Uh, why, why did he say that? That's what we're going to look at this today. So our title this morning is A Two-Edged Sword. Let's, uh, let's pray and then we will we'll dig in. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. I ask you to enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning that we might uh, really learn and grow uh, from your word and in you. In your name we pray, amen. Um, sometimes when there is a, a, a phrase, a, a verse, a passage that is difficult to understand, there's a, we have a tendency to just sort of skip over it. We just ignore it and move on, right? Uh, and I want to say that uh, as much as, you know, those of us here do that, uh, Bible commentators will sometimes do the same thing. And so in a, in a few different commentaries I looked at, they just kind of ignore this verse. Uh, others, when they do comment on it, uh, typically the interpretation is that This is in reference, that last phrase there is in reference to when Mary sees Jesus die on the cross, that that's the sword that will pierce her own soul. And obviously that's a, you know, a a painful experience that someone would would go through. That's not the way it's supposed to work. You're not supposed to see your child die. You're supposed to grow old and die first. And so uh, that would be an incredibly painful experience. You, You compound that with the fact that Mary would have been quite young here. You know, Jesus, uh, she was 14 or 15 when he was born, 33 years old, do the math. Mary's in her mid to late 40s when this happens. And so that would have been a painful thing. And, and maybe that's what he means here. But I'm wondering if maybe there couldn't be more. Is there something else that Simeon might mean by that? Um, when we study Scripture, context is always really, really important. 
What, what are the verses around a verse saying, and what does that mean? And the context here, it seems as though this is a continuation of his message. And there, Simeon talks about this dividing that takes place and the revealing of hearts. And, and I have to wonder if maybe this isn't a continuation of that, that if he's not here still talking about hearts being revealed. Um, another good habit in Bible study is kind of to cross-reference. If, if Scripture says something that we don't understand, maybe it uses a word or a phrase, we don't, <coughs> don't know what that means, it can be helpful to look and see, is that same word or phrase used anywhere else? And if so, what does it mean there? And maybe if we can figure out what that means, that might help us to know what it means here. And, and it, it so happens that there is another reference in the New Testament to a sword piercing the soul. And so I want to look at that passage and kind of compare these two and see if they don't mean something. So that is in Hebrews 4, and it's a verse that probably many of you are familiar with. It says, for the word of God is alive and active. Now, I want to parenthetically say here, the, the word of God is a reference to Scripture, to the Bible, but also to Jesus. Jesus is the word of God, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. <coughs> so this is kind of a... It, not an either-or, but a classic both-and kind of statement that when the author of Hebrews says the Word of God is alive and active, he's speaking both of Jesus and the Bible, and he says it's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Uh, this p- passage was written specifically to disciples, to people that are followers of Jesus. So the author is saying, even among those who have repented, if you continuing from last week, and who have sort of risen with Jesus, were following after Jesus, that there is still a dividing that can take place in your life. And he gives three examples of that. If you go to the next slide, we'll look at those. So the word is able to divide soul from spirit, joints from marrow, and thoughts from intentions or attitudes of the heart. What is, you know, let's break that down. What do those things mean? So the, the word soul here, in Greek is suke, and we get the word psyche from it. It's our psyche. What that is, is kind of the, the combined whole of your experienced life. It's sort of the essence of who you are. It's what makes you you and not somebody else. So that's your psyche. Your spirit, on the other hand, is the Greek word pneuma, which literally means breath or wind, but in reference to us, to humans, it's talking about the breath of God. And it's the thing that God breathes life into you, and it's where really eternal life comes from. So really, in that sense, our spirit is our true self, as defined by God. The parallels are this. Your joints or your bones are the structure that holds your body together. It's sort of the structure that keeps you in place. The marrow is the living part of that. The marrow is the part inside the bone that generates cells and life. And so, you know, if you see a skeleton in a, in a uh, doctor's office or a college classroom or something, or if you're out hiking in the woods and you find an old bone in the ground, and you break it, it's brittle, it, and it breaks easy because there's no marrow. It's dead. The marrow gives it life. And so there's the parallel there. there. And then the third little couplet, uh, thoughts, our thoughts are our thoughts, right? Those are the things we think. Our intentions or attitudes of the heart is a, a little bit 
more difficult word to translate, but this is what it really means. It's sort of your thoughts plus morality. So I, I define it this way. <laughs> tell, I don't know if I'm talking to the right crowd or not, but sometimes some people think things that aren't very nice, but we don't always say those things or do them. Anybody? Anybody ever? You know, you go, that guy's a moron. But you don't say that, but you think it, right? So the intentions or attitudes of your heart are sort of the filter that keeps you from saying all the thoughts that come out. So what the text is saying is basically is that the Spirit of God is able to discern between those things. He sees everything on the inside of you. I want to focus on... I want to stop for a second. Just let me say this. Okay. It's kind of a teaching message today. I want to get a little in-depth, but I think it's going to be worth it. So hang with me. The first little couplet there, uh, soul and spirit, for most purposes, most of the time, our body, soul, and spirit, we don't distinguish between those things. We don't think of ourselves in terms of this is my body, and this is my soul, and this is my spirit. We, We don't make that kind of distinction in our own life. It's just, this is me. This is who I am. This is what I do. This, they all sort of work together. But, but there, are, there are actually, there is some distinction between those things, and it can be really important. And, and here's how it can be important. Think of it this way. So your, your spirit is your essence as defined by God. Your spirit is who God says you are. Your soul, on the other hand, is the collective whole of your experience that's defined by your history and things that have been spoken into your life and sort of your, your experienced life. So what the passage is saying is that the Word of God is able to distinguish between those two things. Why does that matter? This is why I think it matters. Because very often, almost always, in our lives, those two things disagree with one another. They're incongruent. There is a difference between who God says we are, and who we see ourselves to be. Those two things don't line up. And so consequently, we end up being kind of conflicted as people. There's a part of us that wants to live one way, wants to do one thing, but we end up doing another thing. Go ahead to the next slide, because that's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 7. It's exactly what he's talking about. He says, I do not understand what I do. Now, remember, this is the Apostle Paul who wrote major portion of the New Testament. And he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin is living in me that does it. Can anybody relate to that at all, on any level? A couple of you can. That really is where we live a lot of the time. There's a part of me that wants to live in Christ, to make right decisions, to, 
to be radical for the kingdom of God and to be sacrificial and to live, be kind and loving all the time. But you know what? There's another part of me that's kind of a self-centered, egotistical little twit, and I don't end up doing those things that I want to do. Amen? Amen. I mean, I meant for you, not for me. Your soul, your psyche, no, I, I think we're all in this together. I think we can relate. Your, your, your psyche is formed by your history, your past experiences. It's formed by what people have said about you and how you were raised by things that were imparted to you by your parents and your, your teachers and your coaches and by, <clears throat> by the media and by culture. It's what society says you should be. You should be this way. You should be that way. You should look this way. The problem with all of that is this. Most of it's a lie. Most of it isn't true. Your spirit is what God says you are. Okay. Um, Here's the punchline. We're not done yet, but I'm going to give you the punchline now. This is the take home. Write this one down. When God speaks, reality happens. Okay? God said, God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. God speaks reality. So, consequently, God says you are holy and you are holy. God says you are my beloved, precious child. You are my daughter. You are my son. And you are my beloved, precious child. You are my daughter. You are my son. God says you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And you really are a new creation in Christ. The old really is gone. The new really has come. It's a whole new reality. There is fresh marrow in those dry bones. Now, <coughs> our <coughs> the problem is our brains are slow. And our thinking doesn't always fall in line with the truth that God speaks into our spirit. So we get stuck in old patterns of thinking, and we continue to think that way. That's why Scripture talks about renewing our mind and why that's so important. We need to renew our mind, which kind of means, you know, hit the refresh button sort of update our thinking. Some of us are still thinking on iOS 4 or Windows 98 or something, okay? And we need to update the operating system. Because at the core of your being, God says you're a new person. You're a new creation in Christ, and you want to live that way. You want to live for God deep down inside. But, but, something, something, Paul says, holds us back We have been conformed, which means we've been shaped by the pattern of this world, and we get stuck in those ways of thinking. Our soul disagrees with our spirit. But the Word of God is alive and active, and it's able to distinguish between those two things. The Word of God is able to clarify for us, this is who you really are, this is who I say you are, this... This is not who you really are. This comes from your past. So you can hold on to these things because these, are, these things are true. You can let go of these things because these things are a lie. Are you getting this? <coughs> Sorry about that, but I think this is important. And so I just want to make sure you're kind of tracking with me a little bit. Mm. 
Last week, we focused on the word repent, and repentance is the process by which when someone rebels against God, they get back in line with Him. What we're talking about today is the, the process by which a person who has already repented and is walking with God continues to, to move their life in a direction toward Him and become transformed by the Word of God. <coughs> so, as an example, Michelangelo said that when he looked at a stone... He, he didn't see the stone itself. He actually saw the finished sculpture. Go ahead and go to the next one. He saw the finished sculpture. Okay, you can move it to the next one now. I, we don't need to be distracted by, by David. But the point is this, that all he did in his mind was begin to chip away what wasn't really there, what didn't belong. Do you get it? God says, when I look at you, I don't see the you that you see. I see the you that I see. I see the you that's really you. And all I'm doing is chipping away, little by little, those things that aren't, don't belong, that aren't really part of, of who you are. It's an amazing process. It's an amazing process. <coughs> As we said last week, this isn't a one and done it's ongoing. It's happening throughout our lives. It's beautiful, really, because here's why. Sometimes we come into relationship with Christ. We repent, we turn, we go the other way. Some things automatically change, but not everything. And we're walking down this road, and the Spirit of God is moving in our lives, and, and suddenly we become aware of things that maybe we weren't aware of before. And we go, hmm, you know, I don't think this is that helpful for me. Maybe I need to change this. And I wasn't even aware of it. Maybe we, we just see things. We go, oh, you know, this, is, this, is key, this particular thing is keeping me from being who I really want to be. So maybe this needs to change in my life. And we're walking that process, and it's never-ending. And the Spirit of God continues to just reveal new things to us all the time about what He wants in our lives. Here's the other side of that coin, which is equally beautiful, and that is that that same process also exposes some of the lies we've believed about ourselves. Oh, you'll never amount to anything. You're, you, you are worthless. You will never, ever change. And the Word of God will pierce that, shine the truth on those lies, and say, you know, that's actually not really who you are. This is who you are. And our job, again, is just simply to turn from that old way and to walk in the newness of who God says we are. Chip off a little here, chip off a little there. Now, now here's the thing, you know, let's be honest. Our, our flesh is more in line with our soul than our spirit, and it's not going to like the process. It's going to complain. It's going to whine a little bit. Oh, I don't like this. This isn't fun. And sometimes God will ask something of you that he's not asking of somebody else. And our response is very typically, so why do I have to do this when she doesn't have to do this? Anybody? 
and, 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 and can I just, I'm going to call that one out. That's one of the biggest lies there is, is that whole spirit of comparison. How do I stack up as compared to the actresses on TV and the supermodels and everybody else? Well, let me say this. With God, there's no comparison. With God, there's absolutely no comparison. It's not about how you look, how you feel, how you think as compared to anybody else. The only thing it's about is how you relate to him. And so, we have homework today. How do you like that? You like homework. Go to the next slide. We're not going to look at Romans 14 today, but your homework assignment is this. Read Romans 14 every day this week. It talks about comparison. It talks about that whole thing. Don't read a little bit each day. I want you to read all of Romans 14. It's one chapter, one page every day. When you read it, I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to begin to free you from the spirit of comparison. Okay? That's your homework assignment. Write it down. What happens... When we participate with God in this process is that the incongruity between our soul and our spirit begins to come together and they line up and they become, we become more whole as people. When we become more whole as people, we really begin to look a lot more like Jesus looks. And that's the goal, right? And this is the process how that happens. As God speaks, and okay, now here's the thing. God can speak to us in a thousand different ways. He might speak to you prophetically like he spoke to us as a church prophetically this morning. He might speak to you directly. You might just hear, feel, sense God saying something to you. He might speak through the word. There's a lot of ways God can speak. And when he does, we have two options. We can either yield to that or we can ignore it. Now, if we ignore it and you kind of go, okay, I I know God is sort of leaning and pushing me in this direction, but I don't really want to do that right now. So here's what happens. We ignore that, and that voice becomes duller and duller and more and more distant, and it kind of fades. And pretty soon, we don't hear it anymore. It just goes away. If we yield to it, though, on the other hand, the voice becomes clearer and clearer, and we continue to walk down this path of transformation and become more and more like Jesus. John Wimmer was so basic. He put it this way. He goes, inside of every one of us, there's a black dog and a white dog. He goes, they're fighting for position. He goes, you just got to feed the white dog. All right, you guys want to come up? Um, So I'm going to close with this. Here's the thing. Here's the outcome. I want to give you the outcome. The outcome is this. When we do this, we, we yield to the voice of God and we move in that direction towards him. We come alive. And we begin to see and think and feel and experience God in ways we never have before. And our our spirit comes, our spirit begins to lead rather than our soul. We come to life. And let me tell you, it changes everything. Joy takes on a whole new dimension. I've met people in, in, in my younger days, Christians who were just full of joy all the time. And sometimes I found them to be kind of annoying. But the problem was me, because I wasn't experiencing what they're experiencing. The truth is that it's, it's beautiful that they're experiencing that joy, because that joy isn't based in their circumstances. It's based in the belief in who they are and who God says they are, and it's precious and it's beautiful. 
The reality is this, hope rises up in you and we change. We don't, ne- we don't walk in just negativity and despair and oh me, oh my, what's the world coming to? It's all coming to an end. We're all going to die. No, hope rises up and you go, hey man, today's a great day. It's beautiful. Let's get out. Let's do something. Let's change the world. Everything changes. Your whole focus on life. And this is what Jesus calls abundant life. We begin to walk in abundant life that he has for us, not just, you know, another friend of mine, Steve Robbins, says, every time you see Steve Robbins, he, he greets you, he goes, are you thriving or surviving? And those are your options. I'm surviving, Steve. I'm barely making it. I hope to be alive tomorrow. No, I'm thriving. I'm living in the abundant life that God has for me. I'm walking in who he called me to be. Everything, everything changes. A sword will pierce your own soul too. And I believe it's a painful process. But the outcome is really, really good. Amen?